Hello, you're listening to Coffeehouse Questions. This is Ryan Polly. I'm excited to be joining you guys again another week, another podcast, another radio show, wherever it is that you're listening. The only problem is, is that I'm recording this a second time. If you follow on YouTube, uh, you saw that a few weeks ago I recorded a podcast slash YouTube live video on the reliability of the Bible, the internal and external evidence for the Bible's reliability. The only problem is it posted to YouTube and my computer decided it needed to do a hard restart uh, after I before I saved the file after I had finished and I lost everything. So here we go. We're going to talk about this thing again, but hopefully I got some practice and we can uh, do it well this time. Now, I am recording it this time after my interview and discussion with Dr. Frank Turek. I hope that you enjoyed that episode and that you learn some good information from the things that he had to share. Now, what's interesting is I'm actually going to discuss very briefly a few topics that came up from that discussion actually uh, on YouTube. And so, uh, as always, I take uh, the podcasts I have, I I cut some audio out into some different clips, and then I post those as videos on YouTube. And of course, with the title of Dr. Frank Turk's book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, you post that on YouTube, and you are bound to get some atheists that are commenting. And so, in fact, all my videos, if you check them out, I don't get a ton of likes on YouTube. I don't really care about the likes, but, you know, I get a few likes or whatever. Uh, But the videos that have to do with atheism, I get the most thumbs down, most dislikes. Uh, I think there are a few atheists that follow me, and every time I put someone uh, something up, uh, they have something to say about it and dislike it. And so uh, one of the videos I posted was how Fr- Dr. Frank Turek explains uh, in the podcast how atheism makes reason impossible. And so I have a short little clip there, and there was a very interesting interaction. Uh, I've talked about that a few times on the show, but some atheists made some comments, and I'll discuss one of those here, and then we'll get into the evidence for the Bible's reliability. Now, before we jump into the topic, I do want to, uh, again, just uh, connect with you guys um, and, and show you how to connect and remind you of those things, especially maybe if you're listening to this show for the first time this episode. I have been receiving a lot of new questions from students. Students. Good questions that I don't get very often. I have a few of them recorded. They're being edited and they'll go up on the YouTube channel soon. But that is a great place to stay connected. Also, I have my interview with Dr. Paul Gould on his new book, Cultural Apologetics, on November 11th. That will be live stream on YouTube as well. And so those are op- options. You can send in questions. You can also watch the live stream on YouTube and, and ask live questions, interact. And I try to do those on Thursday. Obviously, interviews I want to get where the author or the person I'm interviewing uh, is available. But when I'm simply just sitting down recording a new podcast, I'm going to try to do it on Thursday so there's somewhat of some consistency. So that's just a great way to interact. Also, as always, on Instagram, I post questions. I share uh, who I'm interviewing with uh, or who I'm interviewing. I post videos. I get questions from you, the listeners, that then I can respond to on the podcast and everything. So that's a great way. Facebook.com slash Coffeehouse Questions has my schedule of all the interviews and speaking events and everything that I'm doing. And so you can keep up to date there as well as everything that gets posted. And then obviously, the website, coffeehousequestions.com. You can email, contact at coffeehousequestions.com and uh, check it out on Twitter, Ryan Polly 3 as well. And then uh, if you are interested in supporting the work that I do, uh, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of things going on. And uh, and so, um, yeah, if you want to check it out, uh, patreon.com. You can get links there on the website as well. Uh, search Ryan Polly and you can support the show as well. And I re- really appreciate that. So, 
one comment from this YouTube video, and then we're going to jump into the evidence for the Bible's reliability, internal and external. So one of the atheists, so, so Dr. Frank Turek in this video is talking about how, why atheism makes reason impossible. And one atheist wrote in, he says, his whole argument is stupid. All Christians are atheists. You don't believe in other religions, so you are an atheist. To all other religions, you don't have enough faith to be an atheist, but you are an atheist. This guy is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the end quote. Now, what's interesting is that he's defining atheism as not believing in a religion. I don't know a single person who defines atheism as not believing in a religion. My definition would be a believing that God does not exist, a positive belief, God does not exist, that's atheism, or as what you will commonly find on the internet, uh, atheism is a lack of belief in God, that they simply just don't have a belief and therefore are atheists. But I've never seen someone define atheism as don't believe in other religions. He eventually asked me, well, what would you call someone who doesn't believe in religions? And I would say non-religious, right? Just because I don't believe in Islam or something, or maybe if I'm just non-religious, I can still be a theist, right? You can, you can believe in a God, a theist, and not believe in Christianity or different religions. You would simply just be non-religious. So I don't really know where this started from the beginning. But he went on and continue to say, well, you are an atheist when it comes to Zeus. You're an atheist. Uh, let me find the, the message here really quick. He finished with at the end. He said, look, uh, you're an atheist. A person, uh, an atheist means a person who has the lack of belief, does not believe in the existence of God or of gods. You don't believe in the gods of other religions. You don't believe in Buddha. You don't believe in Thor. You don't believe in the Indian God, the one with all the arms. Who are you? An atheist to those gods, unless you don't believe in them. Now, I just have a simple response. He actually didn't like the response, but I have a simple response. And I said, look, you're, you're misdefining the word atheist. An atheist is someone who either all agree with your definition, you lack a belief in God, or you don't believe in God. But I do. I do believe in God. That makes me a theist. It's very simple. It's like a, a bachelor is someone who is not married, and I am married. You would never say that I am a bachelor to Mary and Susie and, you know, Sarah and everything because Emily is my wife. I am married. You would never call me a bachelor to other people. That's just nonsense. And so just because I don't believe in other gods, an atheist is one that either has no belief in God or gods or lacks the belief or believes they don't exist. Well, I do believe in God. So I went over this and I said, look, married means you're married to a woman. No one would say I'm a bachelor to other women because I'm not. I'm married. Same with God. I believe in God. I'm a theist. And he says, well, when you get married, you are no longer a bachelor. But when you don't believe in a religion, they call you an atheist. If you don't believe in other religions, so you don't, you are an atheist. <laughs> so anyways, I just thought this was so funny. I eventually actually ended up, and I'm still waiting for his final response, I guess, to this. Uh, I said, look, if, if you, if your best argument that you have is to call me an atheist, then I'm going to stick with theism, right? I, th if that's the best argument you can come up with is, well, you're an atheist. Okay. So even if I were to agree that, which I don't, so what? But I still believe in Yahweh. I still believe in the God of Christianity. You don't. We are different. And so we have a different term for that. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's almost worthless bringing that up here on the podcast because it's just, it's such a dead argument. But the fact that it just came up again uh, and it's being leveled at me right now on YouTube, I thought I would just mention that really quick. Look, an atheist, very different than a theist. So discussing the authority of Scripture, the, the evidence for the reliability of the Bible, does the Bible have authority over me? Uh, there are two different ways that we look at this, and I think oftentimes we maybe uh, lean towards one or the other, or sometimes we only present the internal or we only present the external. And I think that when you leave one off, you, 
it's not as strong. I think that when we as Christians clearly understand both the internal and the external evidence for the reliability of the Bible, I think the case is that much stronger. But what we want to show when we're doing this, why am I trying to make a case for the reliability of the Bible? What I'm trying to show is that the Bible has authority, right? That, 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 it shows that God is in charge, that he is divine, that he is sovereign, that he is Lord and eternal and loving and just and merciful and also wrathful and all these things. And we need to understand that. The problem, though, is that in our culture, we we don't like authority. The moment people give us commands, we want to disobey them. And, and so what happens is that young people are throwing all authority out the window and not making a distinction between good authority and bad authority, right? We've seen authority abused. And so we go, look, I don't want anyone in authority over me. And so I, I trust no one. I am in control of my life. And I almost start every school year by going over a little activity where I go, look, you think that you're in control of your life, that you make your own decisions. Because I have students tell me this all the time. They go, yeah, of course. And I go, look, you're wearing shoes that you didn't make. And you have clothes that you didn't sew made out of materials that you didn't grow, and you came to school in a car that you didn't drive, and if you drove it, you didn't build it, all while driving on roads that you didn't lay. And if most of my students are international students, I'll say, yeah, and you came to this country in an airplane, you didn't fly or didn't build, and you probably are sitting working on a laptop that you have no idea how it even works. And the whole point is, is that we trust in other people. We need other people for virtually everything except for like walking, talking, sleeping, and eating. Although we do need them to often grow the food for us and even cook it for us. But digesting food, right? Basic bodily functions. For almost everything else, we need other people. And so we can't say, look, I'm in control of my life. I don't need anyone. Of course you need other people. And then we also go, well, I'm in control of my life. No one is in authority over me. And that is also simply false. And I kind of tell my students and they think it's funny. And I say, look, if you honestly think that no one is in authority over you, then try driving 150 miles down the road, 150 miles an hour down the road. And when the cop stops you and pulls you over and pulls you out of the car for going 150, and you go, oh, sorry, officer, I, uh, I, I, you're not an authority over me. I'm my own authority. That's not going to work very well. Or just even more simple, try breaking a school rule and see what happens when the principal calls you in. Wait, it's silly to believe that we are in a position in which no one is in authority over us. In fact, I I tell my students, I said, look, I don't think that there will ever be a time in your life. In fact, I say there will never be a time in your life in which you are the highest authority. Even the president of the United States has people in authority over him or her. Well, Trump right now. Uh, It doesn't matter who you are. You're the head of the UN, a CEO of a company. It doesn't matter who you are. Someone is going to be in authority over you. And there are laws and rules that you have to respect and follow. And you don't get to do whatever you want. And so my question to my students is simply this. Someone will be in authority over you. Do you want it to be a government who you know doesn't have your best interests in mind, who maybe doesn't even agree with your political leanings, and you know has done evil things in the past and lied to you, Or are you going to trust the authority of a God who loves you, cares for you, created you, sustains you, and desires the best for you? I really like option B. And so what I'm trying to do in looking at the evidence for the Bible is to show that the Bible really does have authority. That the the Bible is true, that God is the creator and sustainer of the universe, and he is someone that is worthy to be trusted and followed and that we should trust and follow.
That is my goal. It's pointing always back to Jesus. Now, Christians are often uh, accused of making the argument that the Bible is true because it says so. And we kind of stop there, I guess. Now, that itself is a bad argument, but it comes from a good starting point. So this is the internal evidence for the Bible's reliability. And the internal test is simply this. Does the document, does the book claim to be true? Because if I write a document and I say, look, this is just a made-up story, then you should not believe it to be true. I'm initially out of the gate admitting this is nonsense, this is false, this is just you know fictional, this is just made-up story. But if I'm claiming this is true, then now we need to take it seriously and figure out, is it true? Right? If I'm saying this is just my opinion, I like the Colorado Avalanche, then okay, well, you don't have to sit around figuring out and testing that. Is it true or not? I said, this is my favorite hockey team, and therefore it is. And that can't be wrong. Now, I can lie about it, but it can't be wrong. But if I said the Avalanche are the best team in the NHL right now, which I think they are, that can now be tested. I'm actually making an objective claim. And so what we look at first is that the Bible actually does claim to have authority. The Bible actually does claim to be true. Now, that doesn't make it true, but that's where we have to start. Now we go, okay, it actually says this is true history. These are true events. These things really did happen. Now, did they? And so from internal scripture, from inside scripture, here's, I think, a great argument that we start to build this amazing foundation. And the first one is simply this, that Jesus claimed to have authority. Right? We see in the ministry of Jesus, and this is how I often start my reliability of the Bible uh, presentation, is that I said, look, we don't need to talk about the Old Testament and New Testament right now. Let's focus on the Gospels. Because in the Gospels, Jesus existed, and Jesus claimed to have authority. Right? We see over and over again, Jesus says, you know, this is what the law said. This is what the prophet said. But surely I say unto you, this is what I say. Right? He talks about me, uh, that I and the Father are one. Right? He mentions that in, I believe, in John t- uh, chapter 10. We, we see, and this is one thing I'm marking down, I'm reading through uh, the book of Isaiah with my wife and our devotions, is I'm marking down every time in Isaiah, God, Yahweh says, I am the Savior, there is no other. And then you look at the book of Titus in the New Testament, it says, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so we see Jesus making claims of divinity, saying, I will judge when only God judges, that Jesus is the creator of all things in John 1, 3, and also Colossians chapter 1. Uh, but we see that Yahweh is the creator. He says in Isaiah, I created, I spread out the heavens by myself. No one was with me. But then Jesus makes these claims and says, I was there. And so we first see, look, Jesus is claiming to be God. Jesus is claiming to have this authority. And the question is, well, does he? Does he do anything to support this? Or does he just show up and say, I have authority, believe me. And this is where I give my students another illustration. If you're sitting in a restaurant, And someone walks up to you and says, you need to leave the restaurant right now. Maybe it's busy and you waited a long time for your seat. And you're going to think, no, this person is just trying to take my seat. This person is just trying to get me to leave and so they can have my seat. No, I'm not. I'm not listening to you. Who are you? Right. And I ask my students, what would you do? And they go, who are you to tell me that? I'm staying here. Now, what if the person either says, I'm the owner of the restaurant or they pull out a badge and say, I'm an FBI agent. We are about to bust this restaurant. Get out of here for your safety. Well, now I'm listening right? I, my students always know I start off statements like, uh, I was watching cops the other day. I love watching live PD on YouTube, probably watch it too much. But there's one where a guy gets pulled over, the cop walks up to the window and the guy in the car says, I'm a cop. And the cop says, okay, show me your badge. And he goes, oh, I don't have it with me. He goes, okay, uh, what department do you work for? And he goes, I can't tell you. 
goes, can, show me your police paperwork. And he goes, I don't have it with me. He goes, can you give me any reason to believe you're a cop? And the guy was like, no, I, I don't have anything with me, but I'm a cop. Just believe me. And he's like, I'm not believing you if you don't show me anything, right? If there's nothing that you do to prove to me that this is actually true, give me good reason to believe you, then you could just be lying. So the question is, did, did Jesus just show up and claim authority and claim divinity and all these kind of things and just lie about it? Or was he, did he actually do anything? And that's where we look at the miracles of Jesus, right? Where Jesus you know, when John's disciples, I mentioned this all the time, when, when they came to him and said, are you really the one that we're waiting for? He didn't say, yes, just believe. He said, look around you. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Right? When, he, when he forgave the paralytic sins, he said, I forget, you know, I, your sins have been forgiven. They said, who are you to forgive sins? He said, stand up and walk. Right? Jesus walking on water. And so the, this comes down to the point. If the miracles are true, then Jesus does have authority. If he actually conquered death, then he does have authority over death and he is life. If he truly healed the sick and the blind and the hurting, then he has authority over sickness. If he truly did calm the water, then he has authority over nature. If these miracles are true, then Jesus has this authority. And so what did Jesus then say? He goes, okay, I have this authority and I'm going to prove it to you. Here are these miracles. Now, the second thing, and we'll get to the external evidence to confirm some of those, but the second thing is then Jesus trusted the authority of the Old Testament. He constantly refers to the Old Testament in, in kind of the perfect, the, the, or the present tense, like this is for the here and now, this still applies. He refers to scripture as having a final authority. Jesus assumes that the Old Testament prophecies would be fulfilled and even refers to the miraculous events in the Old Testament, like Adam and Eve, like Noah's flood, Sodom's judgment, the burning bush, uh, the story of Jonah and the great fish. He refers to these as being historical. And so if Jesus has authority, if Jesus is God and he says the Old Testament is reliable and he trusts the Old Testament, I am too. And then moving on to the New Testament, Jesus then gave authority to his disciples to go out, to cast out unclean spirits, to heal every disease and affliction, and ultimately through the power of the Holy Spirit and helping them remember the things that Jesus had said and done to write the New Testament. Man, I feel like I'm talking really fast, but hopefully you guys are catching this. And so we go, okay, well then... What, how do I know the disciples actually got this authority? Well, then they performed miracles, and we read about this in the book of Acts. And so here's our internal test. Did the book actually claim to be true? Yes. And then Jesus, being in Scripture, claims to be God, claims to have this authority, proves of his authority by doing miracles, says the Old Testament is reliable, and then promises the soon-to-be-written New Testament. And so here is a great starting point. And I think a great response from the internal inside the Bible to show, look, not only scripture claimed to be true, but the person of Jesus confirms it. He died and rose from the dead. This is good reason to believe that the Bible is true. And so it's not just the Bible is true because it says so, but it says it's true. And then these kind of lines follow in that logic. Now, then for even more confirmation, we move on to the external evidence for the Bible's reliability. And what I think is very important is that we take the external evidence in its proper perspective, right? So the external evidence, just because we don't have evidence, so a lack of evidence doesn't mean it's false, right? An absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, right? Uh, just because we don't haven't proven something doesn't mean, therefore, it's false. It's also to, good to remember that just because we find an archaeological archaeological discovery, it does not prove inspiration, inerrancy, or authority of the Bible. It is possible that we prove, 
And we have good evidence. For example, we found the Tel Dan inscription showing that King David was a king and they had a royal dynasty named after him, that David existed and there was a royal dynasty. But it's possible that the stories about David were lies. Now, I don't think that they were, but just because David was a real historical person doesn't mean that everything in the Bible written about him is, is true as well, right? So inerrancy, it, the Bible could have errors. I, I don't think it does. But just because we found an archaeological piece of evidence does not prove inerrancy. Also, inspiration. Every history book includes true historical details, but we would never say that they're in the inspired word of God. So just because we find these discoveries, it doesn't prove inspiration. It also doesn't prove the authority of the Bible. Just because it has true details does not mean it has authority over your life. What it does do is it points to the reasonableness of belief in in Scripture's truthfulness. Right, So here is a book that is claiming to be true. It claims to have authority over your life. It claims to be the inerrant, inspired word of God. And then as we find more archaeological and historical discoveries that point to the truthfulness of these stories, it becomes a lot more reasonable. It becomes a lot more believable. It doesn't prove it to be true, but I think it becomes more believable. So if I were to tell you a story of what happened to me last night, and I include 10 objective facts, and I can prove none of them to you man, that's hard to believe. But if I prove seven of the 10 to you, my story becomes a lot more believable, even though there's three there that maybe are not for sure. But again, just because I can't prove them doesn't mean it's false. But hopefully that helps to see how the story becomes a little bit more believable. And so here I think we can do a few things. We can look at archaeological evidences from the Old Testament. For example, the Tel Dan archaeological dig showing that David was a historical figure. We can look at the cities of the Old Testament. Many cities in the Old Testament um, have been confirmed through archaeological uh, discoveries. Uh, We also have uh, the building projects of Solomon that have been unearthed with massive fortified walls and stables for all of his horses. We have the Hezekiah's tunnel that was built to bring water into Jerusalem with even an inscription written in the 8th century script in that tunnel. And so here we have a lot of these details, things that are mentioned in the Old Testament that have been confirmed by different archaeological discoveries. And so I think that is a good place to start when we're looking at some external evidence. And then for the Gospels, we also have archaeological evidence for the Gospels. We have uh, the, the, the ossuary, the bone box of Caiaphas, the high priest. We have the Pontius Pilate inscription showing that Pilate was actually the prefect of Judah during the time of Jesus. And there are others. We have evidence of crucifixion victims in the first century, and I could keep going on. And so we have some details of the story that have been confirmed through archaeology. We also then, I think we can date Scripture very early. Uh, To me, the most convincing, and I know everyone has different dates, but to me, the most convincing is the fact that we know when Paul wrote his letters. We know when Paul died in the 60s. We know he was writing his letters in the 60s and 50s. First Corinthians, I think, was right around 55 AD. And Luke quotes Paul in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Paul writes that the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the labor is worthy his wages. We find the same saying, the labor is worthy his wages in Luke 10, 7. In fact, I've looked this up and I can't find anywhere else in scripture that actually makes this statement. It's only in Luke chapter 10. Now, I'm sure there's many responses to that, but I think, oh, look, man, that seems powerful. If we know that Paul is writing in the 50s and, and, and uh, you know, mid to late 50s or so, and 
Luke is quoting Paul, then Luke has to be writing uh, before Paul does. And it also has to be accepted as scripture by that time. And then Mark being written before that, I, I think Mark, I think there's good reason to date Mark in the 40s or 50s. And so that is one piece of evidence that we look say, look, the, these documents that are claiming these things are written early enough to where the eyewitnesses are still alive. They can test and confirm the details written in these documents. When they say that Jesus went to these towns and did these miracles, then the people reading this 15 years later can say, yeah, I was there. This happened or it didn't. And the fact is they said it did happen in a sense, in the, in the sense that Christianity spread so quickly. And so I think that's a, a very good piece of external evidence that we have. We also have uh, more historical documentation for these things. As I've already mentioned a few, I mean, in the book of Acts, nearly 100 historically confirmed details in the book of Acts alone were Luke names, 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands without error. Like 31 people, to my knowledge, are in the New Testament have been confirmed by secular sources and archaeology. And so the, this is not just this story made up once upon a time in, in cities and land that you can't find with people that you've never discovered. Man, tons of these cities, people, names, places, are confirmed by history. In fact, even if you lose the majority of the New Testament, right? People always say, oh, well, there's no mention of Jesus outside the New Testament. That's false. If you read non-Christian sources like Tacitus, Suetonius, Josephus, Thallus, Pliny, Trajan, Hajan, Talmud, and others... You get the basic outline of Jesus, that he existed, was from Nazareth, performed miraculous, unusual feats, had new teachings, was crucified, his tomb was empty, his disciples thought he believed, uh, that he rose from the dead, and others. We get the basic story from external sources. And so not only do we have archaeological and historical evidence, but we, or archaeological evidence, but we also have non-Christian people writing about Jesus as well. And then you look and you see, man, okay, so ha have these documents that were written early and have external corroboration where they changed over the last 2,000 years and they weren't. We have massive amounts of manuscripts, over 5,800 to my knowledge uh, right now, uh, that, that is much earlier and much more than any other document at that time. And so we go, look, we can do textual criticism. And you have people like Bart Ehrman that says, well, there's more variations in the manuscripts than there are words in the New Testament. And that's true because we have so many manuscripts. But when you look and say, what are these variations? A majority of them are spelling or insignificant changes or like flipping Jesus Christ and Christ Jesus. These things don't take away from the authority of the truthfulness of Scripture. In fact, only, uh, I think, about 1% affect significant portions of scripture, and we know what those are, like the long ending of Mark or John chapter 7, the women caught in adultery. And none of them affect any core doctrine of the Christian faith. We can know for certainty, and we can look, and we can see, wow, we, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls that had a copy of the book of Isaiah that was nearly a thousand years earlier than our previously earliest copy. And very, very little was changed, and what was changed is insignificant. And so these things simply have not been changed. And so we look through these evidences and we see, look, what was written records verifiable details, making these people credible witnesses. There's no way that they're going to make this stuff up in the first century if they're not there, present. You don't have Wikipedia and Google to search information about Jerusalem if you didn't live there when you're in the first century. There's no way they're going to have this. And so you have, I mean, historians that say, look, the New Testament includes enough detail to, conclu to conclude that many of the miracles reported to have happened could have actually historically occurred. 
right? And so there's good reason to believe that the Bible does have authority. And then it comes back to that point. Look, Jesus claimed to have authority. He proved it by doing miracles, visible, testable, evidential things in front of people's eyes. He then said that the Old Testament has authority and is reliable. He then gave authority to the disciples to write the New Testament. Therefore, the Bible is reliable. And then from external evidence, we can confirm details in the story showing the reasonableness of Scripture's truthfulness. That when it says, this is the inspired Word of God, here are the details. We can confirm those details, giving more evidence to the reliability of Scripture. And then what that means then is this book is the word of God and God has authority over our lives and he is someone that we should follow. That is the whole point. We don't prove that the scripture is true just to make a point. We prove it to show, look, this book is so valuable and it is the word of God and he is the authority. He is the one that is creating us and sustained, that created us and sustained us, and that we should be devoting and giving our lives to, because he is the author of life. And he gives us life when we reach out to him. So hopefully this helps you the next time you make a case or discuss the reliability of scripture with any of your friends, family, or colleagues. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please share it on social media. Give it to a friend or family member. That's one of the best ways that this can be passed along and other people can enjoy it too. Also, go ahead over to your podcast listening app. Give it a rate. Maybe even write a short little review. Also, follow along on the website, YouTube, Patreon, social media. Stay up to date with what's going on. Interact live with the live streams and send in your questions for my interview with Dr. Paul Gould on November 11th, Cultural Apologetics. Have a wonderful rest of your day, weekend, whenever it is that you're listening to this. God bless. Sip coffee. Think deeply. This is Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Polly. Won't hesitate to follow your love will guide